After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hands on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept out loud. Aloud, You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you for all the way, for the way you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Kaiser, for reading for us, and good evening, church. Um, great to be able to open God's word together. Uh, before we do it, let, let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word and uh, thank you for the king that we have. Uh, thank you for Jesus Christ. And pray that as we read your word together, 
that um, yeah, we'll humble ourselves, we'll be obedient before your word. Your spirit will work in us and help us to uh, submit ourselves to your word. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how would you approach a king or a queen these days? How, how do we show our respect to a king or a queen these days? As modern people, we probably have become unfamiliar with greeting a king or respecting a king, with um, approaching a king now. As there's not that many kings or queens uh, in our daily life these days. But throughout history, it's very important to, to do this right, to, to show honor to the king. Uh, there were straight rules for a subject to greet their kings. Uh, failure to honor a king will result in significant consequences. For example, in, in the Qing dynasty, before seeing the king, three times a king's subjects need to kneel down and his forehead needs to touch the ground. And that kneeling down, uh, the forehead touching the ground, needs to happen another three times. So altogether nine times, forehead touching the ground before uh, coming to the king. Also, they will need to pat their sleeves twice to show that they don't have any weapon hiding and, and showing honor to the king. In the modern times, uh, there's also appropriate ways to show respect to, to the king. Uh, we are supposed to stand when royalty enters the room uh, and wait for them to sit before we ourselves being seated. Uh, and, and respect is shown by, by a bow or a curtsy. Well, we are currently in our David Servant series, and in our passage today, we'll also look at the way, the right way to approach a king, to approach uh, God's anointed one. And so last week, uh, we learned about King David has been a divisive figure. Uh, Jonathan loves him so much that he was willing to give him his robe which symbolizes um, giving David his kingdom. On the other hand, Saul hates David so much uh, that he intended to kill him. He was hunting David down. And so David David was hiding from King Saul. Uh, David was forced to leave the city and leave as as an outcast. There were times when uh, David, he ran out of food and he needs to go to ask bread from a priest. There were times when he pretended to to be insane to avoid harm from a foreign king. There were times when he was almost surrounded by King Saul and his men, and he narrowly escaped Saul because of God's intervention. So today we will look at another encounter of David and Saul. Uh, And we will look at three points. First, the patience of David. Uh, second, the restraint of David. And third, the response to God's king. Our story starts today with the writer presenting to us a very clear and apparent power difference between Saul and David. So, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, uh, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel 
and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Stark difference between David and his men and then Saul and his army. First, the intelligence difference. Uh, this is not the first time someone went up to Saul and offered him David. Uh, David and his men kept need to, they keep need to changing their hiding place because there's people telling Saul where he's, where he's staying, where he's hiding. And again, in our story today, starting our story, um, someone informed Saul David's whereabouts and, and Saul set out to hunt down David. And second... Um, the army difference. Uh, Saul is going after David with 3,000 chosen men from all Israel. And, and what does David have with him? Uh, previous chapters told us David has roughly 600 men. And they are chosen not by David, but by circumstances. Uh, they are those who are in distress. They are those in debt. They are those who are discontented. And so they, they leave what they were doing and follow David. David's men are an untrained, uh, disordered mob, and they're being outnumbered one to five uh, against a group of professionally trained soldiers. And it is in this desperate situation that God has given David a test. Uh, in verse 3, Saul, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Somehow, Saul has to do his business when he arrived at this desert that David was hiding in. And somehow, out of the numerous caves in there, he picked the one that Saul, uh, David and his men they were hiding in. And so the power difference suddenly uh, reversed. All of a sudden, Saul finds himself at David's mercy. And the man with David, they said to him, he said, in, uh, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Well, the question is, has God really made this promise to David? In the Bible, there's no such oracle recorded. Uh, but it's not hard to recognize God's hand is behind all these. After all, God is the sovereign God, and, and everything is under God's control. And so this is no consequence. Uh, God, God has brought Saul into this uh, cave and brought him uh, under David's hand. And so David... Um, creeps up behind Saul unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's rope. It's a pretty anticlimactic scene. If we were there, we will see that in real time, David carefully and stealthily climbed up behind Saul. Uh, they were holding his sword and then he cut off his rope. Uh, what was going on here? What has crossed David's mind? As a modern readers, as we're so used to um, wars, resorting to every conceivable means, uh, employing the meanness of tricks on our opponents, um, stop at nothing in achieving victory, 
it's pretty hard to, to understand what is happening here, and what's happened to, to, to what, what crossed David's mind here. But verse 5 tells us, uh, gives us a hint. Uh, verse 5 says, David was conscience-stricken for his action. Uh, apparently, in David's understanding, there's something special about the Lord's anointed one. There's a special bond between God and his anointed king. And to lay hands on the anointed king means laying hands against God. Uh, to revolt against God's king means revolting against God. And even cutting off a corner of Saul's robe troubled David, uh, which probably got to do with the symbolism of, of robe uh, throughout um, the books of Samuel. Uh, in, in the book of Samuel, like uh, last week I told us, uh, the robe symbolizes the kingdom. And so um, when Samuel's word to Saul uh, in previous chapters, in chapter 15, and then hence uh, Jonathan's uh, gesture to David, David as he uh, passed on um, his robe to David. And so by cutting off Saul's robe, it's a symbolism of revolt, uh, not only against Saul, but against the one who has anointed Saul, against God himself. To David, disrespecting God's anointed one means disrespecting God himself, disrespecting the divine authority. Uh, it's not treating God as God. It is casting God away from his rightful place. Well, when I think David's conscience is probably a little bit too oversensitive. Uh, he's just being a bit stubborn and, and inflexible. Uh, what's the problem with taking the opportunity? God's hand is clearly in this. And even though God didn't specifically promise verse 4 to David, uh, God has anointed David already. What's the harm with fast-tracking God's plan a little bit. Well, I think there's uh, actually a lesson for us here. Uh, you see, there's actually a very similar story of Jesus when he was being tempted by the devil. Uh, in, in the gospel, uh, in Matthew, false promises were quoted to Jesus as well, just like to David here. And a temptation to fast-track things, uh, to receive all the kingdoms and all the splendor of this world, was offered to Jesus uh, just as a kingdom. Uh, if he kills Saul, uh, a kingdom is offered to David here. And so David is actually showing a, a Jesus-like patience here. It's not only the result that matters to God. It's not just right to achieve God's end but it's also important to achieve it by God's approved means. It's right to do God's will through God's way, uh, not through our own ways. And church, there's something that we need to remind ourselves of. Uh, in our sinfulness, it's easy to only have the result in mind, uh, to compromise our integrity, to compromise our godliness, to compromise our Christian identity. It's easy to pick the quick and, and painless way, 
It's, it's tempting, particularly in difficult situations, situations like David was facing uh, when he was outnumbered and surrounded, that to, to cut corners, to rely on shortcuts to achieve our goals. It's tempting to compromise with opportunism and in desperate situations, give in and operate only with the result in mind. Well, church, are there areas in our lives that we need to slow down and reflect on? Are there ways that we, we are doing things under a culture of impatience and instant gratification? Uh, what are the temptations for us to, to pick shortcuts and not the way of God? Well, David's respect for divine authority led him to a Jesus-like patience, even when he was outnumbered and surrounded. Uh, he trusted the Lord. Uh, he trusted the Lord and chose not to lay hands on the anointed king, on Saul, and hence he chose not to revolt against God. And after Saul left the cave, uh, surprisingly, David also went out from the cave and called out after King Saul. Uh, at the cost of revealing his whereabouts, uh, gave, David, he gave a long speech to Saul uh, in verse 9. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? Well, what is David's reason to come out and call after Saul? Uh, at first glance, we, we might conclude that David is trying to uh, maybe seek security uh, from Saul, pleading his innocence. Uh, I have no intention to kill you. I have no intention to harm you, my king. See, this is the proof in my hand. This is your rope, a uh, piece of your rope. I had a chance to kill you in the cave, but I didn't. So please don't hunt me down anymore. I'm no threat to you. Well, a closer look at it, I think this speech actually shows us David's respect for the divine authority again, uh, and hence his restraint in the cave. Uh, two reasons David gave um, to, to his restraint to not harm Saul. In verse 12, David said, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. David knows that only the Lord is the rightful judge. David did not take revenge upon his own hands. He was willing to leave this in God's hand. Uh, because of his respect to divine power, divine authority, he waited uh, and allowed God to be the judge, not himself. And second, in verse 13, David quoted a saying, from the evildoers come evil deeds. Another reason why David was not, uh, did, not, did not touch Saul. Uh, he, David's respect, David's fear of the Lord does not allow him to perform evil deeds and hence become an evildoer, uh, even to his enemy, to the one who has wronged him. Having God in his decision, uh, considering who God is and what God will do, David did not and will not take revenge upon his own hands. Instead, he calls the Lord to be the judge and asks God to vindicate him. And church, I think this is another Jesus-like, Christ-like character that we can learn from. Uh, from the example of David, uh, when, when we're being wronged, it's not easy 
to restrain ourselves to wait for God's justice. There was this one time when I was walking to a friend's place, uh, and I don't know if it's Sydney's sewage uh, bad design or because Sydney, we don't get drizzles. Uh, every time when it rains, it's like really heavy rain. So it's really common to have the, the, sides, the two sides of the road uh, flooded. And so I was on my way to my friend's place. Uh, on, on the one side of me is this three-lane road, uh, which the two further lanes uh, are still uh, drivable. Uh, there's not that much water in it. But, but the closest one um, to the pedestrian walkway is it, slightly flooded. Uh, water comes up to, I guess, my ankle. Uh, on the other side of me, on the other side of the pedestrian walkway, uh, is some muddy grassland, uh, which if I step on, uh, my whole feet will, will get soaked. And, and so I took my chances. I, I walked on the pedestrian walkway, thinking to myself, cars probably would use the farther lanes. Uh, and then halfway the road, I saw this car, originally in the middle lane, and then as the driver spot me walking by the side, uh, switches lane, and intentionally splashed me with water and, and got me totally soaked from, from top to bottom. I was so mad the rest of my trip. In my head, I was constantly plotting all sorts of different ways to get back to this driver, to this car. Even if when I have arrived at my friend's place, I was still occupied by, by those thoughts. Uh, if I meet this guy again, I will throw stones at his car. If I meet this car again, I will use my umbrella to, to hit his car. I wish his engine would, would die in this heavy rain. I wish a police car would stop him and, and give him trouble. When we are wronged by others, it's not easy to restrain ourselves. It's not easy to hold back ourselves, hold back from repaying evil with evil. But it's, our example, it's the example of our Lord Jesus, uh, the example that he left for us. When, when he was insulted, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusts himself to God who just justly. This is the example of our Lord Jesus. And this is the example that we want to follow as Christians. Well, David, our his uh, respect for God's authority, uh, knowing that God is the only just judge, uh, restrained from taking matters into his own hands, uh, restrained himself from repaying evil with evil. Instead, he, he was willing to wait for the Lord to vindicate him, to, to avenge him. And David demonstrated a, a Christ-like restraint for us to imitate today. Right, and finally, uh, we come to Saul's response to David uh, in verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is this your voice, David, my son? And he wept loudly. Uh, three things we can observe from Saul's response to David. First, um, Saul acknowledges um, the goodness of David. In verses 17 to 19, four times the word 
good appears in these three verses. Uh, Saul acknowledged that David was more righteous than him uh, because David did good to him. He did good by sparing Saul's life. He, he let his enemy get away unharmed. And so, so Saul bless, blesses David with goodness as reward from the Lord. Goodness was one of the main themes in, in Saul's um, response to David. And second, Saul surprisingly acknowledges David's kingship. So in verse 20, Saul said, You will be king. Uh, God's kingdom will be established in your hands. Well, this is really unexpected. Uh, as the competition for kingship is the whole reason why uh, all this happened, um, why David and Saul were enemies in the first place, why Saul was hunting David down. Um, but suddenly here, under, in God's providence, Saul finally comes to his senses. Uh, he finally knows that God's will cannot be changed. And so he acknowledges David's kingship. And finally, uh, Saul pleads for mercy. Uh, in verse 21, after Saul acknowledges David's kingship, he asks David to show him mercy, to, to not kill off his descendants, to not wipe out his name from his father's family. And church, this is exactly the right way how we should approach God's anointed one, approach God's king. This is the right response for us Christians to approach our king. As we come before God's king, as we come before Jesus, we need to acknowledge that he is good. He is more righteous than us. He is more good than us. We need to acknowledge his kingship uh, to surrender ourselves to him, to have Jesus as the rightful king, rightful ruler of our lives, to live our lives under him with obedience. And then we need to ask him to show us mercy, uh, to pardon our transgressions, uh, to forgive our rebellious um, deeds and, and decisions and actions, uh, to forgive our wrongs. Well, let's finish our story today with, with this. Well, Elvis Presley, uh, he was so loved and, and so popular. Uh, he was often referred to as the, the king of rock and roll, or, or simply the king. And so one day during a performance in Vegas, a woman approached Elvis with a crown sitting on top of a pillow. Uh, Elvis asked, what is this? Uh, it's for you, you are the king, the woman said. Elvis's response was classic. Uh, after taking her hand and smiling, he told her, No, honey, I'm not the king. Christ is the king. I'm just a singer. Church, as we come before the, right, the, the one king, the one true king, our Lord Jesus, may we echo Elvis's word in our lives as we come before our Lord Jesus, in all the different areas in our lives, let's remind ourselves, I'm not the king. Christ is the king. I'm just a sinner. Let's pray and ask God to help us.
Uh, Father God, we thank you that we have this righteous and good king um, sitting on his throne in heaven right now. And Father, thank you that um, in this, with, with our Lord Jesus, with our king, um, there's forgiveness. And we can always come before his throne and ask him to help us. And so, Father, please help us to not hold on to um, our own crown, um, not try to be king ourselves. Please help us in all sorts of areas in our lives to make Jesus our king and to help us to um, reflect and to slow down and to imitate our Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.